I like that it gives you the escape option now. You can just leave the meeting as, so, as soon as someone records it and run away. <laughs> <laughs> I'm out of here. Yeah, like, no, thank you. <laughs> I welcome Christopher Davis Shannon, a multi-instrumentalist, songwriter, and educator based in Philadelphia. The intro music today was his tune, Doing the Uptown Lowdown, and at the end of our podcast, we'll feature a song from his album, Empty Kettle. Christopher and I talk today about his favorite book, his standard food regime, his fascinating background going from clarinet to bass, guitar, ukulele, and then coming much later to singing in life. We'll get to hear firsthand why I think Christopher is such an outstanding musician as he plays a song for us live. We'll also talk about the business of music, marketing, and his newest side hustle, ukulele strings. We'll also talk about the exciting release of his newest album. By the end of this Barefoot Lunch, I think you'll understand why I think Christopher is not only a distinguished musician, performer, and teacher, but an impressive person. Now to my Barefoot Lunch with Christopher Davis. Good day. Welcome to the Barefoot Lunch podcast. Podcast? That would be a cod piece. Podcast. I'm here. I'm here with Christopher Davis Shannon. Welcome, Christopher. Howdy, David. Great to see you. We're we're starting off with a bang. I didn't know I was coming in on a cod piece, so we're starting <laughs> off real awkward at first. It's great. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm part of a, a Shakespeare group, so we, we have this kind of, uh, we throw these awkward things out there, I guess. So uh, thank you for joining me today. I'm looking forward to chatting about music, about uh, what you're doing for future recordings, current recordings. Uh, we'll talk about strings and lessons and all kinds of stuff. But um, let's start us off with one of my uh Barefoot Lunch questions. What's one book you would recommend everyone should read? I think everyone needs to read Winnie the Pooh. And I'm I'm dead serious about that. Most people, when they ask me my favorite book, I tell them that's it. And there are a list of other books that I love. But I think it's just a great book really about about morality more than anything else and and sets you up on the right foot. So I, I love Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> That's awesome. I've, I've heard you sing it. What um what what character is your favorite? I mean, I am rather partial to Pooh, but I've been told many times that I am much closer to Tigger in personality uh, because I have too much energy. The wonderful thing about Tiggers are Tiggers are a wonderful thing. Indeed. Your tops are made out of rubber. <laughs> Bombs are made out of spring. They're bouncy, bouncy, bouncy. So I, I digress. <laughs> um, I would. I'm going to share a story with you. When I was um, one of my, when I was four, my mom went back to university and I, um, so she took me to one of her classes because there was, there wasn't a babysitter or whatever. 
and uh, we went into Dr. Bose's class, and uh, he was a very stern man, wore tweed. He had a bow tie, white mustache, and uh, he said, please make sure he can come to class, but make sure he's quiet. And so she sat in the back, gave me some crayons, and he's lecturing. And then he says, uh, who knows Winnie the Pooh? <laughs> and no one, and you know, I looked up, no one raised their hand. And I'm like, and I raised my hand and he's, he's like, see, he's smarter than the rest of you. And uh, so he, he became one of uh, my mom's mentors, but it was also very much one of my great mentors in life. And, and so I'm happy to uh, know Winnie the Pooh because of that. And I've read Winnie the Pooh in three or four different languages. So good choice. Oh, wow. good choice. Yeah. That's, a, that's a good idea. I should actually, I've, I've been um, diving a little bit into learning Spanish because I, I'm an American, so obviously I only speak one English. That's I, one <laughs> one one, uh, one language, which is English at a subpar level at best. Yeah. Uh, so we're, I, I should order uh, Winnie the Pooh in Spanish. I think I'm going to sure. do that later on today. <laughs> great one, great one. And uh, so there, Christopher Robin. What would be your favorite lunch? <laughs> My favorite lunch. Well, so I'm I'm a very boring person when it comes to food, um, and I I eat nearly the same thing for every meal. So I'm just going to say my usual, which is pretty much white rice, kimchi, and, and an egg. <laughs> nice. What kind of, how's your egg prepared? Uh, it depends on my mood, either poached or fried with a little bit of soy sauce on it if I'm doing a fried egg. Nice. And do you, um, where'd you get kimchi in Philadelphia? Oh, there's a, there's a really good Korean community here in Philly. And I'm actually, I'm bummed because my um my favorite kimchi source closed down about a year and a half ago, which was actually a Vietnamese restaurant that did did great banh mi's, but they did Vietnamese kimchi, um, huh. which is is it has a sweeter sort of undertone to it than Korean kimchi, less of the the fish sauce in there. Yeah. They all they also had um what they call white kimchi, which is more green, which is meant to be eaten with uh, with red meats for for that. And it's a much lighter style of kimchi um but now I'm, I'm stuck with the the traditional korean cabbage kimchi yeah. which is is not so bad either i love it i love it I have it a couple times a week in, in in japan so it's nice and if you could invite anyone to lunch living or dead who would you invite mm. this this is a tough one because <laughs> so i feel as though i can't go uh too far back in time or else we might just spend the whole lunch talking about oh my god what's an iphone and trying to explain <laughs> yeah, yeah. the internet because the other person would be so bewildered by modern technology. Um, but I, I think uh, Antonio Carlos Jobim would be my pick, the, the, the author of Girl from Ipanema, Desafinado, so many of the great bossa nova hits. Um, I, I truly find him to be just one of the most interesting composers of the, the 20th century, the way that he treated the bridge between harmony and melody was absolutely ingenious to me. And to be able to talk to him about harmonic concepts, I feel would be just a, a life-changing experience. And he also just kind of seems like a cool guy that you would just want to sit down and have lunch with. And it would be like talking to an old friend. Maybe I've romanticized him in my head, who knows? <laughs> but that's the impression that I have. <laughs> well, give him a bit of kimchi. What what, what music <laughs> would you play for, for him at lunch? You had some background music on? Oh gosh, yo! I would. Um, I think I would have to give him something modern 
to to chew on, which would be fun. So I think I think I would put on uh, Robert Glasper's uh, Black Radio album, the original Black Radio. Huh. So Robert Glasper, amazing um, contemporary jazz piano yeah. organ keyboardist um and this this album has you know erica badu on it singing most deaf rapping it's just this great mashup of of modern jazz and and a lot of hip-hop elements that i huh. i feel like joe beam who's someone who's so i mean he changed the face of music with yeah. with the, the bossa nova music yeah. uh, movement certainly did and he was an integral part of that and by far the largest creative output, I think, um, compositionally in that field, you know, to, for him to hear some, another huge change in music, you know, 30, 40 years down the line from that, I think would be really interesting to hear what he thought of that. Cause it's also, it's, it, that album is much more rhythmic based and groove based than a lot of, um, you know, jazz, we think like bop period jazz, like Charlie yeah. Parker and, and going into modal jazz with Davis and Coltrane and all that. Uh, and it's much more chill, relaxed, accessible jazz that I think, you know, people who aren't jazz fans would sit down and yeah. listen to and just be like, this is good music. I enjoy it. Um, and I feel the same way about Bossa Nova that it's, if you want to listen to it actively, there's, there's a lifetime of education in those songs. But on the other hand, you can put it on while you're cooking dinner, and they're just beautiful songs. Yeah. And yeah. to me, I think like Robert Glasper does some similar things in the modern era that Joe Beam did okay. <laughs> um, back then. That's brilliant. Well, I, I'll have to dive into that because that's a rabbit hole I don't know yet. So, <laughs> I was, well, why don't we? Uh, why don't we have you play some music? Sure. If, if you sure. would, I'd love to see if we can get it on Zoom or not. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see how this goes. Those, those yeah. strings sound really good, Christopher. Thank you. <laughs> my special formulation. Uh, do one of my favorite ukulele songs. Chaz, I'm going to wait for this large car to go past my house, though. Okay. <laughs> good. It's a very noisy street. This is uh, Isham Jones' 1924 hit, uh, I'll See You in My Dreams. Yeah. 
in my dreams Hold you in my dreams Shine took you Out of my arms I can still feel the thrill of your charm Those lips that once were mine Tender eyes that shine They will lie in my way tonight I'll see you in my dreams That's brilliant. Thank you. Awesome. I, I love it because I've been I, I liked your Instagram lives where you're you, and you show up and you never know you got a bass or you have the ook are you singing are i you- i never knew before i hit the play button what i was going to be doing that night <laughs> awesome. That's awesome. so so share with us uh, share with the listeners your your kind of music journey from from birth to today from birth from birth <laughs> indeed so you're talking about your mother taking you to university when you were yeah. young and my my mother was in university studying music when she was pregnant with me and had me while she was studying music um and was she's now a retired uh public school music teacher and getting back more into playing more which is wonderful um so you know i obviously started very young that's the reality i grew up among music my mother's a pianist my brother plays piano and sings as well um so i played a little bit of piano when i was a child I actually start violin was the first instrument i took lessons on and it did not last very long at all i was just not interested i was, I was very i was like four or five years old i was very mm-hmm. young and i just did not have the patience for it um so i did some piano lessons and such and you know my parents never really pushed me towards music it was just always there it was part of life you know um and then as happens in american elementary schools around fourth grade or so you have the option to take an instrument so um i decided to i I actually wanted to play flute was my my goal but my best friend at the time was going to take up clarinet and i was like you know what that seems that seems like a viable alternative. So <laughs> I took up clarinet and I, I think my, my friend quit about two weeks into it. And then I played for 13 years. Um, wow. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and I, I just absolutely fell in love with the instrument. And my, my mother, when she was teaching elementary school music, parents would come to her and ask how she got me to te- to practice when I was that age. And she'd go, he would just come home from school and play for two hours. I don't, I never said a word. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, music was was where I felt at home, and uh, they uh, got played in in all my school bands and sang in the choir and all that's jazz. Um, and of course, high school rolls around, and clarinet's not as cool as some yeah, people. I'm wondering about like, that. Yep. You know, it's just not the hippest of instruments. So, yeah. Took up a little bit of guitar, and uh, my friend's band needed an electric bass player. So I said, "I'll go find a bass at a <laughs> used for fifty bucks. I'll play bass. How hard yeah. can it be?" Um, <laughs> so I played 
played in a garage band while also playing in a contra band playing clarinet still the whole time um and then when it came time to to go to to college for something music was was the obvious choice yeah. it was the constant in my life but i i decided at that point um that a career in clarinet was maybe not the best choice in uh, in the 21st century. Uh, it's lack of gigs, really. I mean, jazz jazz clarinets few and far between these days, and orchestral jobs are some of the absolute most competitive in the arts field. They're so hard to get. So I said, you know, what can I? Well, I was playing a little bit of electric bass at that point, so. I said, well, how about I play bass? And then you come to the realization that if you want to go to music school, um, you need to play upright bass, not electric bass. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, obviously both. And there's some programs now that accept electric bass. So went out, found an upright bass, took lessons for six months, auditioned for college and <laughs> got yeah. in because the bar is low for bass players. <laughs> actually wants to lug around an upright oh, bass. Oh, that's a big <laughs> So, yeah, I did. I did that. I went and studied uh, studied upright bass and, and music composition in college, um, and then you know got out of school in two thousand nine. When, as you can imagine, the uh, the gigs were just a plenty, and were yeah. directly after the financial crash. Um, <laughs> so it was it was a tough few years getting started. But then I you yeah. know started touring with bands, mostly playing upright bass, yeah. um, playing playing a lot of rockabilly and roots music, which were Things I wasn't familiar with, but I was always open to, hey, I'll take a gig, see what happens. It's all music. There's there's right. something here to always learn. I ended up falling in love with a lot of the older music. Um, and then at some point just decided, you know, you, you don't have a lot of control of your destiny as a as a bass player. You're always at the mercy of who's who's ringing your phone that night for a gig. Okay. You know, it's very rare that you have bass players. So I started taking gigs, doing guitar and singing doing a lot of the old uh, jazz standards, Piedmont blues, things such as that. Um, and did that for a number of years. And then the ukulele just kind of fell in my lap. Um, I actually had one for, for years. There'd always been one growing up. We had one in the house. I never really played it. Um, and then my, my two young nieces who were, I think, I think four and seven at the time, um, they wanted to learn an instrument. Um, so my brother called me and said, what would be a good, instrument to start them on and i said ukulele is great because a it's not terribly annoying for the parents which i think is a major concern um you know you can think about kids starting out recorder or or flute and it's not the most pleasant noise Uh, trumpet trumpet was noisy oh that's that's a tough one yeah that's loud (laughs) but but also from a musical standpoint it you're playing something like trumpet or i i grew up playing clarinet a, a a Instrument that go can only play one note. So you never yeah. really think about harmony and you never learn about that entire side of music very much as an instrumentalist like that, where on ukulele, you can really learn all of the bits of the musical spectrum. So I said, you know, this is a good good thing. So I bought the kids ukuleles and um, was going to teach them on, on Skype to play. Bought myself a banjolele at the time. Yeah. Um, it was my... My first one got to playing, and they didn't last very long. Uh, what, which I will say, one is now playing electric bass, and the other is playing cello and piano. So they're nice. yeah, they're, they're still right. playing. They have their ukuleles, but it just wasn't their instrument. Um, but I both a fell in love with the instrument um, because when you come from playing an instrument that's six foot tall 
that you can't bring <laughs> anywhere to an instrument that fits underneath an airline seat. Um, and that's where I found it was, I, I really started to love it is I, I do a lot of dates with bands that we fly out for a weekend. So mm. when you're an upright bass player doing that, the promoter rents you a bass out there. You're not bringing your bass for a one or two day stint to play some rockabilly. So I'd bring a ukulele with me. So I had something to practice in the room. You know, I want, I want to play some music yeah, yeah. aside from when I'm on the stage and keep my brain working. So there just became always a ukulele in my hand. Um, and then it just kept spiraling out of control from there. And now most of what I do is, is play ukulele <laughs> and, and teach ukulele. And it's, it's really wonderful. Um, but the, the instruments really made me approach music in a totally different way. And I, I think it helped me out a lot on the other instruments that I play and give me a better perspective as a bass player. Um, mm. being really, really engrossed in a, in a chordal instrument, um, and how that impacts my bass playing and how that impact and how my bass playing impacts my, my ukulele playing as, as well. Um, so I, I'm really lucky that the, I kind of stumbled into the ukulele world <laughs> about five That's or six awesome. years ago. <laughs> That's it. And I mean, when I found you, thanks to, um, modern technology, having YouTube and having, uh, being stuck at home with a pandemic was, yeah. was but I, the thing that I fell in love with was your voice. Oh, thank you. That's, and, and it's interesting to me, you had mentioned that you hadn't been singing actually that long. No. And, and I, I, I mentioned earlier, my mother's a pianist, but classically trained vocalist, like her main thing is, is vocal. So, and my brother also, phenomenal vocalist so it's very intimidating me as as the youngest growing up mm. um to sing because i had two great singers around me and i was always very self-conscious of my voice as we all are when we start yeah. singing <laughs> I, I stress to my students now because i do i do teach some voice these days that we all hate our voices you just get used to it at some point um but it was it was out of necessity. I realized if I wanted to make a living in music and have be able to control the gigs I was taking, being able to sing was a large part of that. So I started singing, um, and it took me probably three years to get comfortable as wow. a vocalist. And now I love it. <laughs> now I absolutely love singing so much. Uh, but it's it's. I, I view it as, although it's the, the instrument I've had the longest in my life, because we are we're all blessed with mm -hmm. a voice, it's probably the one, my most underutilized instrument up until the last three or four years. It's interesting. I, you know, we're, we're all given that instrument. I think as kids, we all sing, and then we just let that dissipate. And I, Absolutely. Um, it, it's interesting to me that, uh, you know, with um, playing, picking up the uke, one of the things that I found was, that everybody's, you know, strumming and singing and I hate my voice. So that's, so that's not an option. So I had to learn how to play the ukulele with playing melody, not harmony. So yeah. it, it, which is a totally difficult thing. So I was lucky enough to find a good teacher who, um, <laughs> who can help me through that. And uh, he also told me to hum, which I thought was, don't worry about uh, words. Brilliant. No, absolutely not. And that's the thing. I think, for for any musician, regardless of your instrument, that being able to use your voice is so important. I kick myself for not singing for years before this. Even if you're someone that has no aspirations to ever sing in public, I think it's singing um, is one of the best things you can do musically because you take you take the tool out of the equation. We all know how to sing innately. 
Um, where when we're playing an instrument like ukulele, we have a thousand things going through our minds. How am I attacking the string? What's my next chord? What's where are my fingers going? Are, am I aligning my body properly? All of these things. Where when you sing, it's it's one of the few times that you get to actually focus on just music mm. and nothing else. And and I really love that when I think about um, you know, like phrasing passages when I'm playing an instrument. When it, especially, and I've gotten into when I play upright bass now. I do jazz gigs and take a solo. I I do what Slam Stewart used to do, which is I sing my entire solo while I'm playing it um, hmm. as an improvised solo because my voice helps to to phrase what I'm doing on the instrument. So I'm not doing all these run-on sentences as I play because when you're just using your fingers, you never have to breathe. But yeah. it sounds terribly unnatural when you don't breathe even when you're playing an instrument. Um, and wow. I found that something that's just helped my musicality to to such such a great level that's interesting i i, I want to there's so much i want to talk to you about um let's let's start with music business because i think one of there's one you're you're a great teacher but two you're you're a really good businessman as far as, and i think that's so important around being a musician and um i'm just impressed by what you do with your marketing and um, the different channels that you're working through, which is, is just wonderful. Talk a little bit around that. Yeah. Well, first, thank you. <laughs> it means a lot coming from you. Someone who works in, in marketing and all, you know, that's, it means a lot because it's, it's, I, I actually love the business side of music. And, and for years when people would ask what I did for a living, I wouldn't tell them I played music. I tell them I ran a small business in the mm. entertainment industry. Because yeah. that's what we do, but it's also the thing you don't get taught in music school at mm-hmm. all. I had, I had one music business course, and uh, well, let's just say the professor didn't even show up half the time. Um, <laughs> let let alone did I learn how to do my taxes, <laughs> how to mm-hmm. how to create an effective marketing campaign, how to brand yourself. Which, when you're a musician, uh, to me, branding is is everything. You are. You're the product, right? Yeah. And I, and I, I guess that goes for really any any one person business is it's it's all on you, and you need to be recognizable. Um, and for me, that the the branding aspect came a little bit naturally, just because I'm I'm so specific about everything in my life. I mean, I wear nearly the same clothes every day. I have one ukulele that I play. I don't swap off to a million different, I eat the same thing for nearly <laughs> every meal. You know, I find the things that I love in, in life and I just kind of stick to them. And I think for me in, in especially marketing, that's been the biggest thing is I, I unabashedly present, this is me, take it or leave it. <laughs> that's great. And, and plenty of people do leave it and that's absolutely fine. Um, you know, my, my brand isn't for, for everyone. And, and I certainly, you know, I found, um, you know, I have my own niche certainly within the ukulele community. I don't, I've had people come to me for lessons and they want to play like Jake Shee and Bakuro. And I go, why are you taking lessons from me then? Yeah. I, I can show you some of the tips and tricks. I can musically explain to you what he's doing, but I'm not that guy. I'm not your best option. For that, yep. um, you know, I specialize in in one thing, and I I try to make my brand reflect that that vintage aesthetic that we we have. Um, it goes with the music that yep. I play, and that's that's the thing for us. It's all gotta, you know, um, it's all gotta complement the music. 
But hmm. as far as the rest of the business side of it, um, I mean, I, I despise it. I'll be, it, I, I, part of me loves it. It's a fun yeah. puzzle to solve, you know, throw so much against the wall and go, what works and yeah. what doesn't. And um, 2020, March of 2020 last year when the, the world ended, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I was, I was mostly touring. Yeah. I, was not, I was not teaching um, private students at all. I had a YouTube presence that was consistent because, yeah. uh, you know, as, as we know, you know, with, with social media, like consistency is key. <laughs> Stay right. on target. Yeah. And sometimes it'll work. Sometimes it won't. Um, and I said, you know, I need to really take some chances and see what works. And I took probably March through June of 2020. I was just throwing everything at the wall nice. on on yeah. YouTube and yeah. see like like how did what what works to get people to yeah. live streams what live streams actually perform well on here I was I was messing around on Twitch and uh, Instagram and YouTube live streams and you know what platforms give me the best on that and then with YouTube there was a point where I was releasing I think seven videos a week wow that's a just lot to, of just to really content. test you know which videos played well. Yeah. with the audience and which ones caught up. And and after you know, three months of testing, it mostly came down to people going, you're creating way too much content. <laughs> yeah. and, and me going, thank you, I agree. Um, <laughs> but, but realizing what people were looking for a little bit better and that, that sort of like market testing in social media um, was hard because I was, I was trying to do so much, but I also had no gigs. So I had lots of time yeah. to do whatever I wanted. And I was afforded the the time to be able to test with that. And I think at this point I've kind of settled into a groove, which is, which is really nice to feel like I know my releases. I, I plan things out far ahead of time. Usually not always, yeah. <laughs> sometimes they sneak up on you. Um, so I can kind of anticipate what's going on and, and it's still just always tracking metrics on, on social media as well and seeing what what performs well and like why didn't this post work why does no one care is so hard so what are uh, you finding works for you um for me i i find actually my theory lessons tend to be the most viewed of mine okay. which always gets me because they're the ones i love the most as loves i as much as i love playing the the old tunes yeah. um and performing i'd rather perform in front of an audience yeah. Still do it to this day, doing it to a camera's awkward to me. You lose that energy. But for me to talk at a camera for a half hour about music theory, that's yeah. that's just me talking to my cat in the living room. That's the yeah. <laughs> that's what I'm gonna do anyway. So it's so and, and and maybe part of it is that that enthusiasm shows through more in those videos. And I think people I know with creators that I watch, like people really do catch when you care about what you're talking about. I think that's that's important yeah. no matter what business you're doing. You got to actually care about what you're doing and believe in what in in yourself. It can't be bullshit. <laughs> yeah. I was watching uh last time I was watching a uh, uh, documentary of Velvet Underground mm -hmm. um, on Apple Music and they had uh and Andy Warhol was a magnificent marketer. Just Oh, oh my god, yes. Yes, one of the out. best. Yeah, I would. I mean, if we're talking about lunch, if I was invite him to lunch, I would. I'd love to give him your iPhone, and uh, just 
what the hell he would do with it. Imagine what he'd do with Canva and uh, a bit of uh, live streaming. He would. Uh, oh my gosh! Yeah, I mean, he revolutionized art <laughs> in yeah. ten years, which is right? which is crazy. And they, they were talking about him going out. To, he and Velvet Underground. They went out to California, and I didn't realize they like met Frank Zappa and hated each other. It was like mortal enemies, the West coast versus the East coast. And they were just like these peace loving hippies. And they just, just being happy. That doesn't do anything. Go do something. <laughs> I've, I've, I have heard from numerous sources that Zappa could be a bit of a pain oh, <laughs> to bet, work with. Right? I know some musicians who had worked with him and or auditioned for him over the years. And uh, he was like one of the most demanding <laughs> leaders you'll ever oh, meet i one of the things i wanted to jump into was pedagogy yeah because you are a wonderful teacher you and one of the things that i've found is that um you do teach ukulele but you actually just use that as as an instrument music is what you teach absolutely and I, I'm glad you said it so I didn't have to, because that's always my, that's the quiet part that we don't say out loud <laughs> about all of my lessons is ukulele is just a hand drill as far as I'm concerned. You know, any any instrument is, I don't care what instrument I'm playing any given day of the week. It's all about how you can utilize that to make music. And if you understand music, then the instrument becomes a lot less important. I mean, technique's important. Don't get, get don't get me wrong. You know, mastering how to use your instrument is so important. But that's n mastering an instrument isn't how you make music. That's that's it. You know, music is this abstract concept that is about emotion, and mm. a a piece of wood doesn't yeah. do that. <laughs> I, I've had teachers teaching me. I, I've tried to learn clarinet or or cello, and all of my teachers tried to teach me the instrument. Yeah. And that's boring. So and boring. I, and, I think, and I think that's how to engage young children. Anybody that's listening that has kids, the kid don't care what the instrument is. Let them pick up the anything, play pots and pans, but yeah. going around the, the music part of it is, is brilliant. Yeah. And I do, um, I, I actually haven't done them in, I guess, nearly two years now, but I generally... I teach group classes for the Philadelphia Folk Song Society um, here in town. We've been, we What's moved that? to, so they're, they're the ones that run the Philadelphia Folk Festival, which are the oldest running folk festivals in the world, but they also are a nonprofit that does a lot of music education work in Philadelphia. So they host um, six week group classes a few times throughout the year. We pretty much just keep the ukulele continuous, which keeps me cooking up new things all the time for you know 12 people at a time. Uh, but these group classes for people that it's a cheaper way to get lessons for instruments for a, a, for a lot of people. And I think that's important because they're creating accessibility to music for, for anyone. But I generally run a children's class as yeah. well for them. And, you know, with the kids, it's like music, music has to be what's taught because they're not, they're not going to learn the instrument. Yeah. <laughs> and some of that comes down to fine motor skills and age and all that. But the musical concepts will stick with them if they ever choose to do anything later in life. Like learning about rhythm is, mm -hmm. is I think so important um, at a young age, especially a lot of that's because I wasn't taught that much about rhythm at a young age. Um, that says and, the bass, bass player. Says the bass player. Yeah. And you know, and I was at a huge disadvantage when I picked up bass because of that. Uh, 
I was, I was doing a live stream a few months ago. Um, I'm not sure if you were there. It was one of the Instagram ones. My bass player was here with me, Alex. Um, yep. And there was something we were, we were talking about soloing. And he, I go, Alex, what's the most important thing in soloing? Oh, no, it was one of my office hours for Patreon. It was this hour-long live stream I do uh, in teaching. And Alex goes, rhythm's the only thing that matters. And I'm like, see, that's what I say every single week is no one cares what notes you play <laughs> as long as the rhythm keeps going. I'm like, and that's what we all need to focus on. But we we so rarely do because like on ukulele, we're always worried about what's the chord change. I don't care. Keep the right hand moving and no one's going to notice. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's a, I saw your video on uh, warm-ups and I mean, that's just pure keeping the right hand moving at a constant 60 beats a minute. Um, yeah. Yeah. Now you were uh, recently in France recording. You have um, an EP which is Empty Kettle, which everybody should own. It's it's so wonderful. Um, but you've been recording in France. Talk 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 to us about that. Yeah. So we got a few things in the pipeline. Um, so I went. To, I've I've been working with this accordion player off and on for probably about seven years or so now, Jacques Pelleron. Mm-hmm. Um, it's become a really good friend of mine. He, um, I guess I should tell the story of how I met met Jacques uh, because it goes so far back, but he's become such an integral part of my life. Um, I, I used to play with this uh, jazz singer songwriter around town, um, but she'd hire, you know, whoever's available for the gigs. We got so many amazing bass players in Philly. So I get calls occasionally. It'd be great to work with her. It was wonderful. Um, and, one day she calls me for, for a gig and I go and this, this guy comes up to me after the gig and introduces himself in a rather thick French accent. Yeah. Um, and I uh, said, he likes my playing and it ended up that um, he was here touring um, with a his, his wife is a singer. Um, yeah. Corinne sings with him and they do, they do jazz and they do um, old French chanson and stuff such as that, a lot of the Edith Piaf repertoire. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but his his love is jazz, um, and he's prolific composer. I mean, just incredible. His his um, his compositions have been featured in multiple feature films, and I, he's Jacques has been around the world playing accordion um, his yeah. entire life. And he came up to me, and, um, introduced himself. He said, "Yeah, I I have these these tunes written, and I I need a band. We're going to record it in Philadelphia while I'm here." Um, and he put together a band and I was lucky enough to play bass on it. And then cool. he, he would come back usually, usually once or twice a year for the next few years um, to do a little tour of, of the Eastern Seaboard. And we'd always just track a new, new EP at least while he was yeah. there. Um, and so we, towards the third or fourth year, I'd started playing ukulele. And we had we had just filmed a couple of videos messing around because he had written a couple written a couple of things. He said, "Hey, this will sound cool with ukulele and accordion. Let's try yeah. it." So we did. There's a couple of videos on YouTube from a few years back that we had done that with, and we talked for years about doing an album. But he was really tight on time usually when he's in the states. Yeah. Um, and then the pandemic hit, <laughs> and um, you know all of us had no work. Um, but he also decided, he says his touring days are probably more behind him at this point. Um, okay. And he wanted to focus more on composition. So he told me, oh, I'm probably not going to be back in the States anytime soon. <laughs> so reality, I said, well, that's, 
that's nice because I've been living this weird life um, going to London <laughs> as yeah. my part partner lives there. I'm like, so I'm, I tend to be in closer proximity to you um, on a more regular basis now. So maybe I can get over to France and we can do some, some yes. work. So, um, so I started writing some, some tunes um, with accordion in mind, which was an I, odd thing to do because I don't have an accordion laying around. I've never orchestrated for accordion and it's a mind blowing instrument. <laughs> if you've never seen a great accordionist live, it's, it's an entire orchestra in a box. Mm. And, in, um, in as as I, it's uh, challenging to, to compose for. Well, the issue is that, uh, it doesn't need anyone else. There's not a lot of space <laughs> okay. because of the, the sonic realm that it, um, it, encapsulates is just so big and actually when i was when i was at Jacques, i'd never heard him play classical accordion before which yeah. he did for probably 25 years or so that's all he did he toured as part of a classical accordion um duo and he broke out his old classical accordion and played a uh, a bach organ trio for us okay wow and he could cover all of that on ukulele because that's what an accordion is, is pretty much an organ. Organ. <laughs> in, yeah, well, it makes sense, right? yeah. And it's amazing. So, so you know, when you're composing for, for ukulele accordion, you go, well, where the heck do I put the ukulele? Because you can hit all those high notes too, man. Um, so I ended up writing some fairly minimalist pieces, which he he really liked because it was it was a lot outside of the realm of what he's used to doing, which are like mm. full orchestrations on it. I said, no, you're playing the, the backup role for most of this. And we're wow. going to let the, because thankfully with modern recording technology, if we were recording this yep. acoustic in the old days, I'd never be heard over top of an accordion. Right. Um, but now we can put the uke in the front of the mix and make that work. And um, I'm really happy with how we, we, we went in there intending to do five songs um, and we liked it so much that we decided I needed to go back. So I'm going back um, in early February to go make this a full length record that we'll be putting out um, next spring. So all instrumental um, accordion and ukulele duets, half written by me, half written by Jacques, um, which is fun because you get to see the the different compositional styles as well. He's it, oddly enough, I'm the one that's more modern minimalist composition, and he's yeah. the one that's more American jazz. <laughs> ragtime sort of play which is what most people expect from me um so i think there's a there's a good range on the album and uh it's just nice to hang out with a friend and play music (laughs) i'm excited to hear that that'll be wonderful so is it uh because i saw some of the i had i listened a little bit to some of jock's uh performances where you're playing bass yeah and um so is it similar to that not really no Totally okay. different. Totally different. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Some of the I mean, a little bit reminiscent of that, but definitely treated in a, a very different way. And are you at, you mentioned you'd been doing some gigs now. Are you doing gigs regularly? They're, what's that, what's yeah. That like? I mean, they're, uh, they're back for the most part. It's not the same. It's, uh, this seems odd and I'm kind of liking it right now. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, most of the, the larger theater shows, things like that, are not back yet because it's just not financially viable for a lot of theaters to have 30% capacity, right? And sure. be able to pay an artist enough. So it's uh, totally understandable, the big festivals. Uh, although I, ha- I have actually done a few festivals, but wedding works back, the club dates are back okay. for the most part. So it's it's getting back to the new normal. Um, 
And I like to see the adjustments that a lot of venues have made. I mean, many people invested so much in, in live streaming setups. Yeah. Um, like the, the, the main jazz club in Philadelphia, Chris's Jazz Cafe, which is obviously named after me. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> uh, does not far predate my existence on this earth. Um, invested in you know, a five-camera setup and wow. so they could have these beautiful live streams. And I'm loving to see these venues that are – it took a pandemic to kick them into the 21st yep. century, but I'm happy it's finally happening. And I, I honestly think that after the past year and a half, two years of such an odd time, I think it kind of gave a lot of musicians and venues a perspective on what the future needs to be yep. for us and is going to change the industry very quickly. In a, and, and I think it's a long overdue change i think in the the music and i think in a lot of the arts in general we we've kind of been resting on our laurels for years and are always afraid of of the new um, yeah. says someone who plays hundred year old music um <laughs> but brings life to it right yeah yeah no exactly and i think that's important you i like i always try not to be a recreation of those old records i'm just doing my old thing with that right. sort of style in mind it's it's interesting because I mean well we wouldn't have met um, yeah. I wouldn't there's uh, it's wonderful that I have an opportunity to go out and find the best teacher I can in in the world in what I want to play and yeah and and people can do that whether it's learning art uh, painting and, and it's just amazing that that's a possibility now so that's um, absolutely it's one it's, of the it's amazing yeah pandemic right. Yeah. yeah, and I think I mean I hate to say that there are, I think there were a lot of plus sides for some of us in <laughs> the pandemic. I mean, for me, after after years of just working, you know, 70, 80 hour weeks, that was the um, the normal and 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 on and off the road and spending so much time traveling to just be stuck in my apartment for a summer and um, take stock of what life really is and and where my career was. You know, I, I, sometimes you just never have time to stop and think about any of that. <laughs> did, you, did you want to create strings? I would, you see the segue I made here. This <laughs> did you want to create ukulele strings before the pandemic, or was this a when? What talk around uh, around that? Yeah, I've been thinking about this for years, um, and, and a lot of it was time. I just didn't have time to do it because I, I knew it wasn't going to be a process of. Hey, just contact a manufacturer, make me some strings, slap my name on them because that's right. not that's not who I am. And you can do that. And that's your know, most signature sets of strings. That's what you see is um, a few of the main manufacturers are happy to do that. You select your own gauges of what they have available, yeah. and and go that route. But you know, I just I never found strings I loved. I found strings I liked, and I I think um, you know strings are a very personal choice on any instrument and every instrument calls for the strings that it wants. Yep. So my goal was really entirely selfish in that I wanted to just find strings that worked for me. That yep. That's it. Um, and I'm obsessive enough to go spend way too much money trying to, <laughs> to do that. Uh, Cause that's the fun thing in developing a product. So I said, you know, I can just reach out to, to manufacture, not string manufacturers because string manufacturers, Almost none of them are making their strings in-house in the ukulele world, except tequila. Uh, right. Most are just, you know, there are companies that make fluorocarbon. So they're buying fluorocarbon or nylon from them in bulk 
two two specific specs. Um, yeah. And and doing that, so I said, well, why don't I call some fluorocarbon manufacturers and get some wow. samples? Um, okay. You know, so that was that was the goal. And I went through I somewhere in the twenties of different formulations and gauges of strings, 20 something different ones that I went through um, and would leave on my uke for you know a week at a time and see how it, how they broke it's in, still, how they sound. It takes sounded. a while to settle in, right? We were talking yeah, about yeah. running shoes. It takes a while to. Absolutely. And, and you know, my first goal was really something that I kind of gotten the worm for in the upright bass world, which is even tension strings and the concept behind it is right your strings are tuned to different um different pitches so thus the tension on the soundboard is different for every string but there's a few manufacturers in the the cello bass violin world that make string sets that are formulated so that the tension of every string is exactly the same and the theory behind it is that it's loading the the top of the instrument equally and thus the the instrument can vibrate more freely doing that so um, I worked out what theoretically the tension should be to get even tension across all four strings. Um, so that was that was my starting point and what I initially wanted to do. Um, so I ordered those those gauges of yeah. fluorocarbon, and uh, yeah, that was a disaster. That was a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> I put this. I put them on. Well, well that's not the answer. Um, and then I just I said, well, you know, what's what do I need out of this? And, and actually what ended up happening is I, I thought I was going to end up with an even high tension set of strings. I ended yeah. up with a low tension sort of strings. <laughs> um, and, and the lower tension I started, the, the more I started bringing the tension back, the more my instrument started to open up. Um, really? You know, and I was getting more volume out of it. But then the other issue I've always had with, with uke strings, because I, and I, I do say this is mostly because I play entirely soprano uke um which let's be honest most people play tenor these days which is a larger longer scale length and i understand why they do um but the string options for soprano are um because they don't want to pick up a guitar part of it (laughs) i mean part so like that low g tuning simply works better on on a longer scale length because you okay. don't have to have as big a mass of a string to get that pitch. And a lot of people play low G tuning now as opposed to re-entrant, which I, I much prefer. Um, but also, I, I think just the, the size. I think a lot of people just think they're too big to play a soprano ukulele and think of it as a toy, where I'm, I'm six foot yeah. one and play a soprano ukulele. Like, I'm not, there, I, I didn't ever think that there's a size issue there. Um, but also, you, you get a deeper sound out of it. Yeah, sure out of a tenor uke because of the body depth. So I think it makes sense. But then, you know, soprano kind of gets underrepresented in the string realm. Everyone's developing all these cool things. They're like, oh, yeah, this will also work on soprano. Um, (laughs) So, you know, one of the issues I've run into over the years a lot is the C string, the lowest string, you know, harmonically on the uke, um, tends to be just way lower tension than every other string on the instrument. It's always bugged me because... I could never, I would have to change the way that I attacked one string on my instrument and trying to be cognizant of, oh, what string am I hitting while I'm trying to make music is too much. And it, it always annoyed me and probably annoys no one else in the world. And I'm okay (laughs) with that. I'm solving my own problems here. If other people benefit from it, cool. Um, (laughs) you know, so I wanted to do this for years and the pandemic gave me time to actually 
do they're, this and workshop it. Things. I love them. They, <laughs> well, thank you. I was playing them last night with uh, on my Kiwaya, and I know the the previous I had Kiwas Kiwaya strings on it, and it wasn't fun. I was going to my other, and uh, they're just so much more fun. Yeah, they, and isn't that the gotta, thing you you want an instrument that makes you want to play it, not that you're going to yeah. fight? That's so yeah. key. It's a, it's wonderful. And I was uh, any as we're finishing up. Um, one of the questions I wanted to ask you is, uh, what brings you joy? Being alive. <laughs> <laughs> that seems to be a theme that I've, I've heard. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, there, there's the obvious answer of of music, but there's just. I, I, I'm one of those people that tries my best to find joy in, in every aspect of life, even the things that I hate. There's, there's yeah. got to be a sunny side to even the worst things in the world. Um, and that's, that's just how I look at it. So I think everything brings me joy to some extent. <laughs> but so I, I love uh, whenever you, you're on your podcast or YouTube and you always say, hello, friends. And it's always a, a nice, warm, friendly welcome i love it it's it's uh, and, just and i mean it especially you know with the the social media audience after years you you do know those people and you know it's the same returning people and there is that relationship there and i think it's a it's it's finding people all over the world that are interested in the same silly thing that you are and that's that's just so beautiful i, I one of the people i met um well i haven't met uh, that i know from your channel is gwendolyn who yeah, certainly. Musical, and I heard the podcast, and so I started following. And I love her pet peeve about carrying around her ukulele and everybody thinking it's a violin case, and oh, she yeah. just it just rubs her the wrong way. <laughs> oh so. yeah, it's the worst. It's the I, I, I was walking through South Philly one time, and and everyone does that. I have uh, I, I used to use a case. I have a hard case now that I use for this one, but I used yeah. to have a back backpack style case, so I just have it like strapped with on my back. And everyone would be like, oh, is that a violin? Same thing with Gwendolyn. I'm walking, I'm walking by this guy in South Philly, like one o'clock in the morning after a gig. And he walks by me and he stops and he turns around and goes, is that Cavaquinho? And I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, no, but that's, that's really nice. close. <laughs> Getting creative anyway, right? It's, yeah. That's brilliant. Any uh, anything that uh, we've not discussed that we should have uh, jumped into? Oh gosh, gosh! What's your favorite chord, David? <laughs> What's my favorite chord nowadays? And believe it or not, is B. B, like B major. Yeah. Oh, that's a beautiful, bright sounding chord. Good pick. <laughs> that, that's uh, yeah, but I'm um, the life changing chord for me was G because mm. that's your as a as a beginner. Um, there was a time where you learn, you know, most books go through and they teach you C and then they teach you F. And so you're stuck with that in your one, three, five, getting into some theory there. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. You're stuck. You have to get through G and that's, that can be a deal killer. I, I almost Absolutely. lost the, the instrument because the fingers don't work that way. No, and it's something I always stress in my beginner classes, um, in, my, in my intermediate classes, I mean, is when, they're, when they run into a chord that they go, I can't play this. I'm like, remember the first time you played G or G7, that chord that you play now all the time and it's so easy and it seemed impossible. This is no different. <laughs> yeah. 
That's so whenever you, whenever you give me an assignment, I think this is impossible. I think it's not any harder than G. It yeah, just, yeah. I was listening and with, to and Without fail, you always do it. <laughs> right? Eventually, after a thousand times. So. Hey, that's well, all of us. so much. Yeah, it's been wonderful. Thank you for sharing music. Thank you for everything you do on, on social media and the music that you bring to the world. You're, you're magnificent. Um, oh, thank you so much, David. I know I, I wrote you and said, uh, you're, I'm your biggest fan. I don't know if I am, but uh, <laughs> I, I'm definitely up there. I think my wife is a bigger fan. So thank you. So I appreciate much. that. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for having me on. You're welcome. I hope you have enjoyed our Barefoot Lunch today with Christopher Davis Shannon. For more about Christopher, go to his website, thetinman.co, T-H-E-T-I-N-M-A-N dot C-O. Also, please give a thumbs up to Barefoot Lunch Podcast wherever you listen. Now I leave you music from Christopher Davis Shannon. Whose honey are you? What you doing to my heart Really is a crime Won't you tell me when you start Giving me your time Who's honey are you? Who's tea you sweeten? Who's sugar and spice and everything nice depend on you? Who's honey are you? Who's dreams you completed? Who goes to those eyes like sugar plum pies? Who's honey are you? Got time to touch a hair then between those fingertips? You got to rest the heaven on your sugar-coated lips. Who's gonna get you? Some sunny gon' mate it. Whose little heart leaps and wants for keeps? Who's honey are you? Thank you.